Pot on the Tyne is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everybody and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to talk about the Crystal Palace game. Steve Bruce wants to ring the changes, we'll be discussing what's needed there. We'll talk about the Football Writers Awards night at Ramside Hall and we'll be answering your questions as well. All that and a bit more nonsense coming up in the next half an hour to 40 minutes, shall we say, gentlemen. George Corkin and Chris Wolf, how are we doing? Are we okay? Tired, but, but yeah. Tired, Chris. Tired. My hangover, nice my hangover has a hangover today. Your hangover has a hangover. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got no sympathy for you, George. You, well, brought, no, you bring this on yourself. I think you do because you're in exactly the same position, <laughs> yeah, so don't be I'm, a smart I'm trying ass. to gloss over it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are we okay? Are we good? Are we, you know, hangovers aside, have we had a decent week? Well, the weekend was horrendous. Well, that's because I was watching Newcastle United play. So that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. I say play. I mean, Newcastle United were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they turned up. They fulfilled their fixture. Yeah, yeah, and that's about all we can ask from them at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll dive in and we'll talk about that Palace uh, game straight away. One nil defeat. Away Great. At South. South <laughs> what? Great. 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 <laughs> uh, at Selhurst Park. What did we think of that? Well, very little. As <clears throat> I think anyone who would have witnessed it the same. I mean, it was. The thing I will say before I get into a bit more depth is it was there's been so many Newcastle games recently where I think I'd say possibly equally as bad or close to equally as bad as Saturday, but Newcastle just happened to win or draw them. So 93 minutes at Everton, they managed to get a point from it. Chelsea for 90 minutes, they were pretty yeah they defended well, but they were pretty awful. Whereas on Saturday it was the case of they were awful for 90 minutes and they lost the game one nil without threatening. So in that context, it seems a lot worse. This is it's it's become consistent that they are playing in this sort of way, and so yeah, Saturday was just I just from the very first minute you could tell Newcastle just weren't really in the game, and the midfield didn't function, the forward line didn't function, defensively they weren't as solid as they have been recently, and apart from that they were great, yeah, really good. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> well, was great. To be fair on him, yeah, I thought Bruce was I slightly harsh. I thought well, I I thought at the time it, it it's on his side, but the more you watch it. Yeah, he does start to go the other way. He takes a step, doesn't he? I think it would be a heck of a save still to have saved it. So mm. I'll give him a bit of a pass on that. I mean, we would have been 3-0 down by that point if it wasn't for Martin yeah. Dubravka. So that's fair enough. What were you going to say, George? You were just about to chime in there with some... I was about to say, gold. I think that it feels a little bit like we've reached a turning point. And I know we'll, we'll come on to, to, to sort of what happens next. But I think, you know, that game, it feels to me like, all right, this is not sustainable anymore. That's a word we've used regularly on the pod this season that they were playing a style of football that was somehow getting them results and it didn't feel sustainable and now what is happening is it is sustainable because it's it's they're losing they're not playing well and they're losing and that yeah. feels much more you know that feels much more what this team is about and so I do think something has to happen now and um I think the coaching staff realize that and um, I think you know. I think I think we've reached that point. I mean, when you and I were in the strawberry 
a few weeks ago for the uh, for the Oxford game in the cup. I was kind of quite excited. I was excited because I felt it felt to me like the team were going to be safe. They're going to be fine. I still think they'll be okay, but we we also know that they're capable of losing lots of games in a row. And I think something has to change now to make sure they get enough points to to stay up. You but also it, had five points then as well. Also. Yeah, I know. And so my that enthusiasm, helps, my enthusiasm got the better of me. Yeah, I think I, I was I was speaking to somebody about this the other day, and he used the term uh, Newcastle have been getting away with it this season massively. It feels like we've just been getting away with it. We haven't been very good, but the results have could have been a lot worse. And you you hit a point where it has to change. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to you have to recognise results, and once results are once results are happening and they're positive results, then I think you know I think I think the temptation is to is to stick with it and and. You know, let it carry on, and I think that's what's happened. I think they found a way of playing that was getting results. It wasn't getting performances, but it was getting results. And um, but that has now stopped. And so, you know, once once you're once you're playing that the way Newcastle are, but you're not getting results, you definitely have to change it. Yeah, and I just think that I just the one thing I will say is that you you look at other teams, and there are some other poor teams. The issue with Newcastle is that it almost seems now. Uh, as if they're not going to score goals. They'd, I mean, they've all, they've struggled to score goals all season, but the last three games, it's not the fact that they haven't scored. They haven't even looked like scoring for the vast majority of there's that time. There's no threat there, isn't Yeah, there's there? no threat there's at nothing. all. And so if you're a fan of, say, Villa or, to a degree, West Ham, you're thinking, oh, well, we can probably score goals, but we're going to concede them at the other end. And Newcastle, for most of the season, haven't been scoring that many, but have been defensively solid. At the moment, that defensive solidity is starting to go... Uh, with Kieran Clark being out, it's it, it's been weakened even further, and so now it just feels like right. Well, if we just continue in this sort of way, it's going to be regression, regression, which I think would probably just about keep them up, but it will be tight. So we let's try something. Let's see if we can actually start scoring a few more. And particularly at home at St James's Park, in the next few weeks, they have games that, in theory, look eminently winnable, but they're also the games Newcastle have really struggled in this season. It feels to me like the changes that have been made in the last couple of weeks have taken a bit of the energy out of the team. And Bentaleb coming in, and not as much so Danny Rose at left back, but Bentaleb coming into that midfield and taking away Isaac Hayden, who was buzzing around and you know was always a ball of energy on the pitch. I, I think we're missing that massively now. Yeah, I think I think the players that have, I mean, I think the players that they brought in 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 January, if you look at it now, they haven't addressed any of the the kind of the big issues that they were, that were in the squad, apart from the fact that they needed cover at left back. I mean, so that was a sort of emergency signing, if you like. The other two haven't haven't sort of notice, noticeably improved things, and they haven't answered the questions that that were sort of there. We've talked a bit about Bentaleb uh, sort of last week about what what he does, and it doesn't. He's not driving the team forward, and in fact, if anything, he's holding the team back because of the way because of the way he plays. And you know, you also when you, you know the good thing, the positive thing about signing is that it brings it can bring a freshness to a squad that's struggling. It can um, you know it can lift lift everybody else around them because there's more competition for places. The negative side of it can be that it can disrupt something that you already have, and it's I mean the the signings haven't improved anything, and that is that is a concern. Yeah. I think I think we could do worse than when John Joe Shelby's fit of putting him back in and, and bringing Isaac Hayden back into the team know, as well. I don't, know, I don't know why Isaac Hayden's not in the team. No, I don't. I mean, I'm, I makes no sense to me. I would I would marry Isaac Hayden. <laughs> well, we've established this already on the I podcast. Mean, I, um, I mean, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's that's not news, up, George. Up for grabs, <laughs> but but I love him and I love him as a fella and I and I think the team plays 
better with him in the team. Obviously, they've brought in Ben Taleb, so they have to try and give him a go. But I think Caden can feel very unlucky. And I, I'm, I mean, I hope he's back at the weekend. I think we've lost a bit of that uh, athleticism in midfield. The, the the two guys who were there on on Saturday, Longstaff and Ben Taleb, they, they just occasionally looked a bit pedestrian and they looked always looked in danger of giving the ball away. I mean, you had a stat about Sean Longstaff giving the ball away, didn't you? Yeah, he conceded possession 20 times. Between him and Bentaleb, 27 times they conceded possession. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you, and that, that that's a thing that doesn't really make sense, and I said this about Bentaleb last week, is that what Bruce wanted in, in January, as he made clear, was he wanted more legs in midfield, he wanted energy. And not only did he not get that, he now is has taken out the one player with athleticism in his midfield in Isaac Hayden. So I don't I don't really understand. I mean, I'd rather have Matty Longstaff in at the moment than Sean Longstaff. That's not to have a go at Sean. I just think Matty has energy about him. Matty will get about yeah. the pitch and he can be naive at times. Yes, he probably isn't positionally disciplined, but he gets in around people and that's what Newcastle haven't got in midfield at the moment. I could it's Clearly what, he, what Bruce has wanted is two ball players in midfield. The issue was... They've been so bad in midfield, they just ended up giving the ball away, which just brought further pressure on at the weekend. Mm. And, and a, a point I meant to make uh, as well is this is something that somebody mentioned to me. I can't remember who it was, so I apologise if they're if they're listening. But if you're wanting to sort of develop and progress as a football club, then perhaps Isaac Hayden, people like Isaac Hayden and Matt Ritchie aren't there necessarily the answer. However, if what you want to do is battle and stay up then they should be yeah, in the team every week. And I do think I do think that's the case. I think both of those players should be playing. It's horses for courses, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to put in the team that's going to give you the best chance of surviving. It's not about developing players and, and you know it certainly isn't at, at, at the this minute point. at the minute no. it's not. Definitely no. not. So you've no. got to, you've got to, you know, you can only you can only play the hand you dealt, but you've got to have those players in there at the minute. Isaac Hayden, I am I'm baffled by that. I genuinely don't understand that. And I, I get the feeling that a lot of fans think think the same way. I tweeted that out during the game on uh, Saturday. What what has Isaac Hayden done wrong? And nobody could give me an answer. I mean, Richie, I find an interesting one because Rose has come in and clearly doesn't look 100% fit yet, but he is an out-and-out left wing back, left back, whatever you want to call it. And, and so Richie then becomes difficult. Where do you fit? If you're going to fit both of them in, where do you put them? Actually, I think the worst thing that the boost has done with Richie is to put him on the bench and then bring him on. Because if you start him in a game, I think he's great. But if you bring him on, he's, he's you can see he comes. He's so pent up like with frustration. Angry wasp, isn't he, exactly, he and he bench. just comes on and he gives away a silly free kick after silly free because he's yeah. trying to influence the game. He's trying to change things yeah. around. But actually, I, I think because he hasn't been on the pitch for the rest of the game, he almost feels like he has to do too much. And I think that that change in the last couple of weeks has actually been detrimental when he's come on as well mm. for Newcastle. So. At the moment, just yeah, the whole dynamic is not working of those two not being in the team. Mm. Also, the uh, the system and the, the shape of the team did change a little bit during the game. Steve Bruce put Joe Linton out wide and he put Alan San Maximan through the middle. We know this is a personal uh, gripe of yours, Chris, and uh, something you felt very, very oh, strongly about last done, week. Taylor? Uh, what have you done? No, no, no. Let's, You're going to make him angry again. No, Don't make him angry. No, let's see what happens. It oh, could be interesting. Okay, stand back. So, Chris, what what were your thoughts on that? They put Alan San Maximan through the middle, and I believe last week we poo pooed the idea and said it was ridiculous and the thoughts of uh, a FIFA player but <laughs> now we've 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 discovered Steve Bruce had the the same idea so what what do we think of that yeah I mean I thought I was going to be eating humble pie this week when he was we put up through, through the middle and I thought everyone was going to be saying oh this is the answer but I, I mean I was my task at the weekend was actually to watch Joe Linton for 90 minutes to see what he does oh, bring mate. have you upset somebody <laughs> <laughs> and, and so for the first 28 minutes Joe Linton was up front then that hadn't really worked although I didn't think he was I didn't actually think he was terrible but it, it hadn't worked so then Bruce 
sent a message on for, for Sam Maximan to go through the middle, Joe Linton to go out to the left. Then eventually when he brought Dwight Gale on, Joe Linton moved to the right and then Sam Maximan moved back out the left. Now, the, I think we saw the problem of, of having Sam Maximan in that position is, is that he receives the ball facing away from goal. He's not getting it and running at people. Now, on the left, he's getting it too deep because the team's too deep. But you move him up front, and it, it's he doesn't hold the ball up either. So you may as well have Joel Litton there not holding the ball up. But then you've also just removed what St. Maximan's going to bring to the team. Neither of those two are central strikers. I think that the logic to bring Dwight Gale in now is, it, I think it, it it just has to happen. Because as limited as Dwight Gale may be in some ways, the fact he's only he only scored six Premier League goals in uh, 2017-18, but he is actually a striker. That is his actual position. I think that now it has to happen. The other options, they're not even sort of makeshift options. I just don't think they work. And so I think that was vindicated on Saturday. And now I think that we will see Dwight Gale next weekend. I think so. Yeah, I think as I said before, I think it's time for I think it's time for a change. I think Steve Bruce recognises that. I spoke to him at um, Alan Shearer's Foundation Ball on Saturday night, and you know he was distraught. He was distraught with the game, and you know he doesn't he doesn't enjoy the way the team are playing. It's not what he wants to do. As we've sort of said earlier, um, you know there was a system that worked in terms of results. It certainly wasn't working in terms of performance not by any stretch of the imagination but it was worked and I, I I I do have a measure of understanding about why you p- persevere with something if it's working even if it's defying logic at the same time I think that's okay it's not working he has to change it and I'm sure he will change it so speaking of the changes that he could possibly make do, uh, is it going to be a change of system of tactics of personnel I mean is he going to go to that four at the back bearing in mind the last time he went to that four at the back, we had our arses handed to us by by Leicester. So, what is what are the, those changes that he's going to potentially? Well, so that's make? that's one option. I think that's what he would like to do. I think that's what he'd like to do. I'm not. He, he's not wedded to four at the back. He played three. He played three at the back at Hull and had some success there. And yeah. so, you know, he's always been. You know, he's always been um, willing to sort of change things around. I think that he would like to try that. I think. I think four two three one is an option. But you know, it's that same. It's the same thing. Once you've decided on something like that, you you do create problems elsewhere in the in the pitch. And when we're talking before about um, ASM playing up front, do I think that's the answer? No. But I think also when you're you know scratching around for for an unsolvable. I mean, at the moment, Jalinton feels like an unsolvable problem within this squad at the moment. So you're trying to sort of change things to give, you know, to try and find a spark from somewhere. Now people will say that he should he should already know about this. He should be doing that kind of stuff on the training pitch. I'm sure he is. But, you know, sometimes you have to look in a game for a, for a response from somewhere. But, I mean, yeah, so four at the back is one of the options. Um, if, if you then, you know, I think the reason that's not worked in the past is that although Newcastle have a good select collection of centre-halves, they're all quite one-paced, and I think the thing is that you know the fear is that you then expose them too much. Mm. If you play two holders in front of that, you then provide them with a bit more um, protection. This is something that you're writing about at the moment, isn't it, Chris? I am, yes. So I'm a, the four-two-three-one is a potential option. I, I know that over the last few weeks, Bruce has actually tried other things in training as well. I think he's looked again at three-five-two, that sort of a system to try and get essentially what he wants to try and do as Newcastle need to do is get more bodies higher up the pitch and get Newcastle in general higher up the pitch so although four at the back I think is a risk to a certain degree particularly now Kieran Clark isn't there because I think Bruce would, would play him in Lascelles if he had the chance I would say now if he does go to four it'll probably be Lascelles and Fernandez just because Cher 
certainly Benitez didn't trust him in a, in a two. I don't think Bruce would trust him in a two either. Lejeune at the moment still doesn't look like he's recovered 100% fitness and pace. So then you would you have this weekend, obviously Lazaro can't play. So Yedlin, you'd think, comes back in if, if he does switch to four. Rose at left back because you wouldn't have thought that you'd play Matt Ritchie as an out and out left wing back and then you've got that sort of who goes into the three does Joe Linton come out of the team entirely I think there's a chance about th- of that I have to be honest actually I came out of Saturday feeling a bit sorry for Joe Linton I watched him for the full 90 minutes and I do yes he isn't a centre forward but I do feel from to a certain degree that he suddenly gets shut out to another position yeah, I think I think we all feel sorry yeah, for I, him. I genuinely because I, 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 I know some people go I can't see anything there um, I've spoken to a few people the other day and they go, there's, 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 not, there's not a player there. I actually do see some attributes. When he was moved out to the left in particular, there was a couple of times where he took on his man and got to the byline. He's got pace, he's yeah. got power. I do think there's something there and possibly in that three, in a 4-2-3-1, I think he could work. But the issue with then you've got is, where does Richie fit into that if you're going to get Richie back in the team? Do you take one of St. Maximan or Almiron out of the team? I wouldn't have thought so in terms of work rate. But then you've also got the fact that both, all three, ideally, of Joe Linton, Alan St. Maximan and Almiron want to play on the left of that 4-2-3-1. So you've got, again, it's square pegs and round holes to a degree. But I think we will see changes. It'll be interesting to see what he does with the midfield. Shelby's closing in on fitness. Whether he's ready for this weekend, I'm not sure. But I think Hayden has to come. If you've switched to 4-2-3-1, I just can't see how you play that system without Hayden being in there. Feels like a big game, though, doesn't it? Feels like a big game Saturday. Yeah, Saturday does definitely. Yeah, I think it feels like a moment. I mean, it's it'll be you know they're playing Burnley, so we'll know it'll be an awful game. I mean, I mean, oh, it's we can we can say that without fear of contradiction because it always is. But yeah. it feels to me like a moment. I f- it feels like something has to give, and if it doesn't, then I think we could start seeing a sort of backlash. And I, uh, you know, there's 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 always a backlash after games on on Twitter and social media and things like that. But it it feels like it feels like a moment to me. Yeah, I th- I, one of the problems I, I keep spotting when we're playing is that that midfield two is so deep, it almost feels at times like you're playing a back seven. Oh, Benton Leb is essentially playing it's, as an extra centre-back. But why are they not playing higher up? Are they being instructed to play that deep? Is it just that they're inviting the pressure on? I know we want to play on the on the counter-attack, but there's just no cohesion between the midfield and the, and the, the front three, if you want to call them that. Um, there's just nothing there. There's no there's no connection. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure why they do play so deep. I mean, particularly Bentaleb. It was it was it was Arsenal. Even when they switched to to four at the back, and Bentaleb was sort of the in midfield at that point. He was he even remained so deep. I was watching the game from the vantage point where you're in the second half. Newcastle were essentially in front of where we were. You you sort of further into one and a half at the Emirates, and Bentaleb barely got past the halfway line. Even when Newcastle were chasing the game at that stage. And so I think it's partly that that's what the plan is to a degree, but I also think he just sits deep. I don't know if that's because he's still not 100% match fit. I don't know if he's worried that people are going to get in behind him. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, that is that is the the front three doesn't work. This was the thing on the weekend. So when I was when I was following Joe Litton, when Joe Litton gets taken off, Dwight Gale comes on for the last 19 minutes. He has five touches of the ball, five touches, and Newcastle had more, more possession than the opposition. But the central striker, because he's getting the ball, so he's coming deep to get the ball as well. Newcastle can't get high enough up the pitch to help them, and that is part of the issue and why you want why Bruce would like to ideally change things to get bodies higher up the pitch, to get Newcastle possession higher up the pitch. Because the only two games this season have had more possession in were Crystal Palace on Saturday, Burnley away in December, and they've lost them both one nil. Oh dear! Well, there you go. Yeah, that's cheery, cheery thoughts. Thanks for that, Chris. You're welcome. Uh-
Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash tyne and pay the postage of just $4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as listeners to Pod on the Tyne, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe and find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash tyne to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners to Pot on the Tyne, get two extra free beers. The Dwight Gale thing's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's came in a couple of times during the season and he came in against uh, Man United when he, he missed a, a guilt-edged opportunity in that game when he was put through one goal. But I think the difference with that is Dwight Gale, who's played maybe seven to ten games in a run in the team, puts away those opportunities. Dwight Gale coming in cold, having not played for a good few weeks, he's going to struggle to be up to speed. I think that's I think that's a fair point. Equally, as Chris said, he is a striker. And so he will get into the positions that strikers need to get into. And I mean, I agree with Chris about Jolinton that there is something there. And obviously we've seen um, at Hoffenheim that there's something there. But it's not, if you know, it, it, it doesn't work in this system and it isn't working in this team and the lad's confidence is clearly is clearly suffering. He doesn't he doesn't get into the box. And so is, is that is a bit of that fear? Do you think a bit it, of that is it might fear be, of missing a chance? It or might be. Fear it, of... it might be. But you know, if you know, we were, we were with Alan Shearer the other night, and and you know, he 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 doesn't have a striker's in, instinct, so he isn't pushing himself to get to those loose balls. He is not forcing himself into the area. He's that kind of stuff should come naturally, and it's not coming naturally to him. And I don't know whether you can coach that. So now, Gale Gale won't be match fit. He won't be one hundred percent match fit because. He, because he can't be, but his instinct will be to get into the box. Yeah. And so, does that mean he'll score goals in this team? No, not necessarily. But at least he'll be in the right place. And I think, you know, the time has come to 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 change that and to give that a go because at the moment it's not working. If we're talking about why Newcastle are sort of sitting so deep, well, that's that's the style that they've been attuned to and that they're that they're familiar with. When they did that last season, though, the second half of last season. They had a really good out, so they're sitting deep. The ball can come out to Rondon. Rondon can hold it. He can then give it, and then suddenly you've got Perez uh, and Almiron who can who can attack. At the moment, they haven't got an out ball because they haven't got a striker who can hold the ball up, and so yeah. they then give possession away again. And so you know, yes, Longstaff gave the ball away a lot, but they're immediately under pressure. So they're having to try and pass the ball quickly, and they can't do it because there's no one to give it to. So. You know, I, I I think it's time to change it. I think it's time. To, I mean, I think I think I think the attitude from Steve Bruce will be, if the team's going to fail, then he would like them to be failing on his terms more than they are at the moment. And mm. so, um, I you know, I think I think it's fundamental. Uh, it's that kind of fundamental time. He'll you know, it'll be it'll be his way from now on. 
it feels a lot of the times at the minute that we're the architects of our own downfall, though, Newcastle. We we give away possession. We make these silly mistakes. The Man United game is stuck in my mind of three individual errors. These mistakes keep happening and fouls given away in silly positions where you, they don't you, need to be given away. You get you know? what you pay for, Taylor. You get what you pay for, uh, yeah. ex- unless you're Jill Linton, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know, you get what you pay for. And for for all that Newcastle have got some kind of good good players, you talk about Fabian Shaw, we talk about Dubravka, we talk about people like that. Dubravka's been brilliant, but he's also made mistakes and mm. he's capable. Yeah. He's capable of making errors and all the defenders certainly are. Mm. And, you know, I've one of my mantras has been I mean, it's been less so this season because they have got away with it. But it, that Newcastle are a team that have to be at a hundred percent to get to get results. They can't afford to make mistakes because they're not good enough. They haven't got one player who can change a game for them. So they all have to be on it. That my theory has taken a bit of a hit this season because they've been awful and still won matches. <laughs> yeah. But it's that spirit and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm I, th- I think I'm still right in the sense that it's that spirit and attitude that has got them through games and got them results but they're capable of making mistakes, and when they do, they'll lose. Well, let's move on to something a little bit more cheery. Uh, we were all at the uh, Northeast Football Writers Awards on Sunday night at Ramside Hall in Durham. We had a wonderful night. Uh, and uh, Did we? If, well, I did. You can remember it, can you? Uh, well, I remember bits of it. Do you remember windmilling at 3.30 in the morning <laughs> in the hotel bar? Do you remember that, Taylor? I don't remember that, but that <laughs> no, does sound do like that. something I would do. No, <laughs> no you didn't. No, um, there was a number of uh, various uh, footballers and football-type people there, uh, and we were uh, we were sat around, and amongst them, Fabian Shaw was there wearing questionable trousers and picking up his uh, Player of the Year award. Yeah, he, do we have any comment on that? Yeah, his award should be rescinded immediately for those trousers. <laughs> I mean, that was a crime against trousers. And I, I feel angry... And I didn't vote for him. I voted for Isaac Hayden. You won't be. You won't. <laughs> oh, did you, George? Yeah. Oh, what a surprise! Uh, he he was second. Femin Shea was second. But I feel I feel absolutely disgusted by those trousers and also the shoes that he he wore with them. He should he should be ashamed of himself. If you're going to wear those trousers, though, you can't wear socks with them. So I kind of understand the choice of footwear. Lack of socks. He made an impression. The, well, yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. That's what we were talking about, isn't it? Yeah. You know. But I think his mum's put them in on a boil, hasn't she? That's what's <laughs> happened. And. and what can you? Oh, ma'am! He I've sort got to call the awards, ma'am. I think you sort of said he sort of got away with it just by being so just by being fabulous. Gorgeous. Yeah. Well, I said this to you on the night time, like you know, when you're not used to being around incredibly good-looking people, and he is an incredibly good-looking man. He's chiselled, and he's you, you know were sitting close to me though, weren't you? Well, yeah. But <laughs> I managed to control myself, George. <laughs> but it's almost like these when you see someone who's really attractive because you don't see them on a day-to-day basis in our drudged lives that we have. But when you see them, it's like they've been photoshopped into your existence <laughs> for five minutes, and you kind of go, oh, all right, and now back to the three turnip faces that you see before you. Oh, lovely. <laughs> but it is weird. It's like, oh, and some yeah, music yeah. plays in the background. Oh, look, there's Fabian Shaw. On a serious note, I think he was a worthy winner, and it was good that he was there. Obviously, it's a tough, tough moment for... For him and the club and the team, but they, the club got two tables at the dinner, and uh, that's much appreciated. And um, yeah, other members of the coaching staff were there. Sean Longstaff was there as well. Um, it's been Steve a, Harper was there. Steve Harper was there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, Alan Shearer was was on our table, which was great. You mentioned Sean Longstaff. He picked up the Young Player of the Year award as well. Chris, what do we think about that? Well, I know that the timing now, given that he's had struggles, seems a bit strange. But, it? but it is for 2019, and even if you take out the second half of 2019, his his rise during the first six months was 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 really quite astonishing. I mean, he made Absolutely. his first Premier League start in January, 
second half of the season before he got injured, he was he was keeping the likes of John Joe Shelby, Modiami, the others out of the team because he was performing so well, and he he really there was a nine or ten game stretch where he was he was in excellent form and. I mean, Matty, you could even argue, could have been in there given that he then followed later in the year. It really was the year of the Longstaffs, 2019 was. And so I think that it was suitable that he was acknowledged for that. And you look at, I don't think there was too much competition elsewhere in terms of the years that the Middlesbrough and Sunderland have had. So if you're going to go for Northeast Young Player of the Year, yes, I agree that he should have been for 2019. It's unfortunate that his form isn't great at the moment. Yeah. But hopefully... In, in time that he can start to rediscover some of that because he, he can you, you did see a player there during the second half of last season. If you chaps were voting on those two categories now, given what's happened in the last few months, who would you who would you go for for young player of the year? I think Matty Longstaff's got to have a shout, hasn't he? For young player of the year, I think it probably would be Matty Longstaff. Or Tom Allen got an assist, I suppose. That he he, he probably quali- he probably qualifies in the top three list. We I mean there is a bit of a curse here. We have to say so. Like last last year's. Um, Young Player of the Year was Josh Madger, who we voted for. He was, you know, doing very well in League One, and obviously by the time the awards came around, he'd been sold. He was gone. Yeah. Um, so there's always there's there's a bit of a kind of kiss of death, the opposite of the Midas touch. We tend to yeah, have. So if you if there's somebody that you like, you don't want to give it to them. Basically, basically. is this why Isaac Hayden didn't win a judge? Oh, <laughs> sure what about Player of the Year? Who would we if we were voting for that now? Who would we go for? I think it'd have to be Dubravka. He won it two years ago, and I think if it, well, yeah. in terms of from a Newcastle context, I haven't seen Middlesbrough Sunderland. So this is Northeast, obviously. I haven't seen enough of. So it'll probably be a Sunderland player if they go up and go get yeah. promoted. But in terms of yeah, just Dubravka for consistency. I know there's been a few mistakes, but. I look elsewhere in the team and I can't think of anyone who's been consistently the good throughout the season. The only other person I would think of would be Kieran Clark. I think he's had yes, a decent Yes, actually, fair, fair point. Yeah, I think he'd be up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There we go. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in the style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size, shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially from our selection of over 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home, style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash athletic. Well, we're going to do something slightly different now for the last little bit of this uh, this episode um we've been getting some questions in from people on twitter uh, and we're gonna uh, have a little chew over those now um daryl mitchell has asked have the january loan signings improved the team george what do you think well no no we've discussed a bit of that and i think that's that is a concern no i don't think they have i think i think the opposite so far ben Taleb, we've discussed at some length um lazaro i don't think has particularly made much I want to noticeable. defend. I want to defend. Lazaro. Well, you you can go on to defend him, and Danny Rose doesn't look fit, so no, I would say that they haven't. Chris defend Lazaro. Go. Well, just first forty-five minutes against Arsenal, I thought going forward he was excellent. Yeah. Second off, he did struggle defensively, but at Palace, I thought there was a lot of people after the game who had a, had a lot of a goal. But I mean, Wilfried Zaha was very quiet throughout the game. He came down Lazaro's side. Yes, he was sent off eventually, but that was because Sean Longstaff gave the ball away up out of the pitch. He doesn't look hundred percent fit yet, but I do think that he can improve the team in time. 
That's fair enough. Um, uh, George, one for you. How much detail and precision are Bruce and his uh, coaching team putting into the day-to-day stuff at, at the training ground? I mean, I understand this question because you look at the team at the moment and it, it often seems like there's no sort of shape, there's no format, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're working they're working hard what does that mean well okay steve agnew is a coach who is has been very highly respected wherever he's gone he was really highly highly respected at middlesbrough that's why he got the manager's job there and i trust steve gibson i've known him for a long time wherever he's been he's um he's been well received you know when results don't go wet don't don't go the right way and when performances look bad you automatically think that that's a reflection of what's happening on the training pitch but i don't think it is necessarily Okay. Um, if you were managing Newcastle uh, this weekend, what three changes would you make? I'm going to start by saying Fabian Shea's trousers would be the first change I would make. That's Chris? A, I mean, I hope he would change his trousers on a weekly basis. Anyway. <laughs> no, I want to I want to see him run out against Burnley with those trousers oh, you want on. him to wear those trousers? Yeah. I see. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, well, aside from that one, I'll put that as an asterisk. And then, so the, three, the other three I would make, I would put Dwight Gale up front. I would switch to 4-2-3-1. Um, Bold. And... I would have Isaac Hayden somewhere in midfield, and then I'm going to fudge who the three behind the strike will be because I'm only allowed to make three changes. So, George, what about you? I mean, mine's just one sort of big one. I would close the ground so none of us had to watch it. <laughs> How's that? That's one way of getting you've around op- it. Yeah. You've opted to go to the game this weekend. You've actually chosen. to I uh, know. I think I should be there. Yeah, I think I should be there. I mean, I, that's just solidarity, though. That's just I'm, go- I'm doing that with solidarity. If you have to watch it, I'm going to come and watch it as well. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, are takeover talks still ongoing or have talks stalled recently? That's from Dale Barron. Sorry, the the last two questions. The question about detail uh, in the team was from Ali Musgrave. I forgot to read these names out. I feel terrible now. Uh, and the three changes was Keegan Carr, which is a fantastic Newcastle name. It is. Um, are takeover talks still ongoing or have talks stalled recently? That's from Dale Barron. Uh, well, thank you, Dale. No, they're still ongoing. I think the best thing to say about that is that um, everything is kind of shut down in terms of information getting out. I think that's the right the right way for things to be. I do think that the uh, as we feared, I think the kind of the big leak did have a knock on effect in terms of what was happening and and put things back a bit. I also think this, uh, you know, as a journalist, I should be reporting news. As a human being and as someone who wants Newcastle to to be sold I think the best thing we can actually say is just let them get on with it and let's hope there's a positive outcome yeah. I'm not I'm not living my life on tenterhooks waiting you know waiting because I think something is going to happen imminently and I would I would sort of advise everybody to do that just get on with it and presume that nothing's going to happen but yeah they're still talking so fingers crossed good uh, Ryan Patterson has asked what did Alan Shearer smell like well, I wasn't. You, you were sat next to him, so it's probably a question more for you or, or George. So. Gin and tonic was what he smelled like from where I was sitting. Yes, yes. <laughs> he, so it was his. It was his foundation do the night before, and he was up. He was up very late, and and his, the 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 Alan Shearer Centre um, is an amazing thing that he funds. Is a great deal of pressure on him. Uh, I mean, he 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 gave over a huge amount of money to kind of get that centre set up. Yeah. Back when he retired, and there's, you know, he has to. It, it costs two hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year just to keep that place open. So he feels this kind of uh, pressure to do that. It's an amazing place. So he raised a lot of money on the Saturday night. It and raised over two hundred thousand pounds. But he, he, there was there was a gin. There was a there was a waft of gin. But I mean, bearing in mind, I'd also been up very late. I'm sure the waft was coming back even stronger. From I did. Mine. I did say to him at one point, "Was it? Was it a, a bad night? You know, is it, is it? Are you feeling it today?" And he says, "Well, I am, but I'm not feeling it as much as Steve Harper." And we both looked around, and Steve Harper just looked broken. Yeah, he was drink, he was drinking water. <laughs> Bless him. Um, 
Would a relegation be a blessing in disguise? That's from Ross Cumming. Chris? No, because the, the last two times Newcastle relegated, it yes, they, they were able to, to get a little bit of momentum by the time they came back up. Obviously, Benitez stayed and, and brought them up in the first time. Chris Hutton did a fantastic job, and Newcastle then built and got got to fifth place. But Mike Ashley remains. The same problems happen again, and so I don't think that relegation, as some people would suggest, is likely to, to lead to Mike Ashley selling up because the club's value will decrease. And, I mean, I think the thing is, that we can look at the last two relegations and they have refreshed the team and the club both on both occasions. Yeah. But A, there's no guarantee that, that you come back up. B, there's no guarantee that that refresh happens either. And I'm afraid the sadder thing is that you look at those two refreshes and, and what ha- what happens afterwards. Well, for two or three years under Rafa, there's the, there is that feeling that this is a club that could go places again. Uh, but, you know, here we are. I here think- we are. The thing is as well, I think people are presuming that if we were relegated, Mike Ashley would be more likely to sell or the club's value would drop, allowing you know buyers to come in and, and pick the club up on a on a lower price. But Mike Ashley gives off the impression that he's quite happy to roll the dice on relegation and, and if he has to plough a bit more money in one season, he's prepared to do that. He's done that the last two times we've gone down in order to get us back up again. Yeah, I well, don't think it solves anything, does it? No, and I, he's it's it's worked both times. So I think I think he will think he can do that again. Yeah. And that is it's so incredibly risky. I mean, you know, well, he's see, a gambler at heart, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. going to gamble on. I it. think I think maybe he thinks he's cracked relegation as it were, you know. So if if that happens solved relegation. Well, it's not that it's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing that can happen, but well, they I mean, are very good at getting relegated to be fair. The first the time. first relegation, you know, the first relegation coming back from that position in the way they did was extraordinary. If you bear in mind, you know, if you bear in mind where they were, they didn't have a manager, the club was up for sale. Yeah. It took Chris Hutton and the and the senior players to get together themselves to really build the nucleus of, of what happened afterwards. And the second time they had a Carlsberg relegation, it was if you're gonna get relegated, go down with momentum. I mean I can't remember that ever happening anywhere you know for the the last game of the season when they were relegated under Rafa to have that noise and support and encouragement yeah. for the, you know the the club went down like that they would not go down like that this season no, categorically <laughs> and we're already talking about a club that's lost up to 10,000 season you know spaces in the ground that are being filled yeah. by free half season tickets so it would be a very different scenario and i would be very worried if they went down now Lucy T asks, why isn't Lee Charlie keeping in touch more like he said he would at the start of the season? Yeah, because he came out in the first programme of the season. He said he will be keeping in touch on a semi-regular basis. To be fair, he didn't say it was going to be like every single programme. But I do think that he said he was going to come out after the January transfer window. And as far as I'm aware, he hasn't done yet. He did do an interview, I think it was with both the Chronicle and BBC Newcastle, in about sort of November time. So... Given what came before, I suppose you could argue that he is speaking a lot, but given that you would have thought that it would be every couple, two or three months, particularly after the January window, why didn't Australia come in? What was the sort of strategy? Everything about Samaria, what what all that was about. I would have thought to hear more. I mean, maybe they will argue, given the the current takeover situation, that he doesn't want to come out and speak, Mm -hmm. given that situation. But I just think that, that... when you have said that you're going to communicate, there should be more coming from the club. And I, I, th- I think that's vitally important. It's never happened at the club. I think when uh, Benitez was in charge, it was kind of okay because he was trusted. He was he was seen as the figurehead of the club, and fans trusted him. Whatever you think about Steve Bruce, he's not getting any protection from the people above him and around him. And I think people just have to take responsibility, and so they have to help him out in that in that respect. I mean, I'm not saying that from 
you know, I'm not saying that from the perspective of thinking everything's wonderful with Steve Bruce. I just think he needs help. I think a manager or a head coach, whatever he is, needs help from the people above him, and they don't give they don't give that person any help at this club. This has happened before with Steve McLaren and Alan Pardew. Um, yes. Not so much the extent with Chris Hutton, from what I remember, but those guys were pushed forward as you are the face, you answer the questions. There is not that's it. What yeah, you and, say and, we're, and we're back in the position where every single word that Steve Bruce says is picked apart and and I don't think that's healthy. Personally, I'd like to see Lee Chanley start some kind of YouTube vlogging channel where he comes on and discusses his top five glasses frames and, you know, makeup tips for uh, chairman of football clubs, that kind of thing. You know, I, I, th- I think that would be quite nice. It's a little bit, get in touch with the fans, you know, that kind of thing. Just give something back. Yeah, you know, hi guys, I'm just here. I've got I've just got some new shoes have came. I'm just going to sh- try them on and show you them. New shoes have came. Yeah, at least only wears shoes. I'd imagine. How drunk are you still? <laughs> <laughs> Not drunk enough to care, <laughs> but drunk enough to know I shouldn't be saying these things. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, who could do? Oh no, let's let's go to Christopher Tolfrey's. Uh, <laughs> my phone has auto-corrected Christopher Tolfrey's name to Christopher Tolfrey. It's put the little hyphen. It's put the, the hyphen in the middle. Uh, which player in the last twenty years would most uh, improve the current team based on our current style? Oof. What a question! Based I mean, the obvious current... answer is James Perch, isn't it? I mean, James Perch is the answer to everything. If you want a multi-tool. Spanner who can fit in every position. I mean, he's also what previous player sounds most like a fish. I mean, he answers that question as well. I mean, that's a niche question. Yeah. I mean, I, go on. Well, I was going to say to a serious cer- answer. Well, yes, but I was going to say to a certain extent, you you could say Salomon Rondon, given that this this if it's the current system, what the lack of changed, a focal yeah. point, yeah. I'd say that would be one. The other one who I'm thinking of is just in terms of someone who might create something out of nothing. But also frustrated is Hatton Ben Arthur, and that you just give him the ball and hope something happens. No, that's ridiculous. Could I have two thousand two thousand and nine Andy Carroll? Could I have that? Yeah, Yeah. that's a great answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. Is Alan Shearer in the last twenty years? Yeah, of course he is. Oh well, there you go. Oh yeah. But I mean, bearing in mind he was Newcastle's best defender and also best striker, um, I would have I would say Alan Shearer without a shadow of a doubt. And I think you're both fools for not thinking of him. Yeah, and that now. And we also more than more than is that. He retired in 2005 or six, I think six. Um, Let's have a look. Uh, Who could do a better job currently in charge of the team under Mike Ashley? A better job than Steve Bruce? Who's asked that question? That's from David Stratton. So that's a very good question. And it's a multi-layered, it's a multi-layered question because there isn't actually a straightforward answer to that. Because if you're talking about the system as it is with, uh, you know, with Jalinton in the squad, I'm not going to go at Jalinton, but you know someone who's not suited uh, to the Newcastle squad and all that. What manager could do could do better? I suppose the answer to that is Rafa Benitez because he did that. He did it yeah. last season, but he left. He has left because he didn't think the club could fulfil his ambition. So it's that's a very tricky. Question. And he doesn't have Salomon Rondon, who he, he bought in because he needed that focal point up front. So I mean, I think the thing is, we could all list. We could all list some really good managers and some really that. good coaches. We could all list people yeah. who are in Europe who are seen as being forward thinking and um, with lots of ideas and things like that. But would they work within the restrictions that Newcastle would place on them? That is the you know that is the question. I mean, for example, it would have been fascinating if Mikel Arteta had arrived in in the summer, yeah. Um, because I think 
we would have persuaded ourselves that that's a sort of ambitious, you know, that's an ambitious appointment. He's young. He'll have ideas and all that. But, you know, if there's no director of football, if there's no person taking football decisions, would they come up with the same roadblocks that Benitez came came across, which was that when he wanted to sign p players, they wouldn't be available. They would take too long to get them. And so at the end, you're scrambling around to get people would they have appointed a director of football? Well, no, they, they don't show any interest in sort of doing that. And so you're sort of hamstrung with making the best out of a bad job. And I, d I don't think there's an easy answer to that question. I haven't answered it. I think the question also needs to come with the addendum on the end of who could do a better job under Mike Ashley that Mike Ashley is likely to appoint? Because I don't think he's going to go out and get Carlo Ancelotti when he was free and, and subsequently yeah. went to Everton. I don't think he's going to go out there and get another Rafa Benitez, somebody of that standing, somebody who would come in and, and potentially, you know, drive the club forward. Like you say, it, it, the, the options would be someone who's been around the block a few years, who's maybe out of work, someone who's, you know, been battling away lower down the leagues for a couple of years, somebody like Steve Bruce, I think Alan Pardews, the Steve McLarens of this world. Yeah. You know, that I think that's the thing. He's not likely to appoint a Carlo Ancelotti or someone of that ilk. And and I'm afraid that whether it's whether it's under Benitez or previously to that, they don't want to be challenged. So, you know, McLaren and his um assistant manager both got official written warnings for talking about transfers in public. Yeah. Alan Pardew went on Soccer Saturday and said Mike Ashley doesn't know a lot about football and stuff like that. He got a he got a bollocking for that. They don't they don't want to be challenged and the way that they're not being pushed, they're not pushing themselves, they're not making the training ground the best training ground in the country, they're not doing things like that. So you're 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 sort of asking a coach to work with his hands behind his back, which is why I don't think good people will, would come. Mm. And, um, you know, how much can they change from within? Well, I think Benito shows that you can't. That's fair. We're going to finish off with this last one. A little light question to finish off with. It is Shrove Tuesday that we are recording on. Dean Dodds has asked, what do you have on your pancakes? Chris, let's start with you. What do you have on your pancakes, Chris? Uh, a banana and Nutella pancake is very nice. Banana and Nutella. Yeah, lovely. Um, I spread desperation and broken <laughs> dreams on my pancakes like I spread everywhere. <laughs> a light dousing of shit and misery. That's me. Yeah. That is me. <laughs> Sprinkle of gin on the top as well. Um, I'm old school. I, I, back in the day, it was sugar. Sugar and lemon. And lemon. Yeah. Um, but I think there's enough bitterness in this world, so we'll get rid of the lemon. Uh, I also enjoy a little a spoon of golden syrup. That's Ooh, a good nice. That's a good start. Maple syrup is all nice. Oh, no. Yeah, no, golden, no. Syrup. golden syrup. Golden syrup on my, in my porridge as well. Yeah. I like that. Oh, that's great. That's a great oh, I like a bit of honey yeah. in the porridge. I had rice mm. pudding last night for the first time in years. It was bloody lovely. Rice pudding? Homemade mm. rice pudding. I lovely. had a bad it wasn't rice made pudding in my experience house, when I was young and I don't need it anymore. Oh. Whoa, hang on. We have Come to on. explore this deeper. A bad experience with rice pudding? Yes, in the cubs. When I was a, when I was a cub, a little cub. Be, be Is any of this libelous? Just be <laughs> very <laughs> careful. Were you, were you in the cubs? I never approved of paramilitary organisations, so I never, I didn't, I never joined. <laughs> the cubs are a paramilitary organisation. I think so, yes. I think so. <laughs> We did invade uh, Gosforth at one point, yes. Did you? Yeah. But no, basically it was. It's not a very interesting story, actually. I mean, I was in, unlike camp, your other stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in a camp where it had rice pudding. And do you remember that like tinned fruit? You know, like the really crap fruit you get, and like glassier cherries and all the sort of fruit cocktail. Yeah, in syrup. Yeah, like, yeah. and we were served rice pudding with that in it, and it was like lukewarm, and it was absolutely horrible. And I've just, just never, I've just never been able to get that out of my mind. So well, you didn't vomit or anything. 
well, I, I can't remember if I did, but I just I, I sort of now associate the two with just being horrible. So maybe I did vomit. I don't remember. Mm, you're right. That wasn't much of a story. No, it wasn't. <laughs> don't don't use that one on Parkinson, Chris. Oh, right? I would, okay. oh, you you asked to hear it, so I just. <laughs> Anyway, Chris's trials and tribulations with rice pudding aside, thanks very much for listening. Uh, it's been fun, gentlemen. I hope you're all well. I hope you have a good week. I shall see you next week, George, when we go off to West Brom. Ooh, um, looking forward that, to that promises to be interesting. Very real, I think that's going to be, isn't yeah, it, that it's evening? it's been a while since I've gotten a bus to go to a match. So. Well, that's not true. I get a bus to every home match, so I don't know why I said that. On a coach to an away match. Yeah. It's the first time I've done that. It'll be fun. It'll it be should fun. be. So, have a good week, lads. And uh, all you listen out there, have a good week as well. And we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot for listening and take care.